welcome to the Fracture Line, the official weekly news feed from the Chest Wall Injury Society, where we will listen to all the bottom line CWIS updates, shoutouts, fun facts, and weekly banner. I'm your host, Dr. Mark Crisco, and I'm joined always by Dr. Tom White, Dr. Adam Kay, and Sarah Ann Whitbeck. Dr. Ashley, welcome to Fracture Line. We're really excited to have you on. Uh, we always start by having the guests just uh, introduce themselves, give us a little bit about uh, where you are. Uh, what you're doing and uh, what you're passionate about. Sure. My name is Dennis Ashley. I'm the uh, chair of surgery at Mercer University School of Medicine in Macon, Georgia, and trauma director at the uh, Atrium Health Navicent Hospital in Macon as well. And um, obviously, uh, my passion is trauma, either trauma system development uh, and trauma surgery and critical care in general. And most recently, my passion has been uh, surgical stabilization of ribs, and I'm happy to be a part of uh, CWIS, which I think is a great place for us all to come together and share our ideas. Uh, everyone is always very open, and uh, very excited today to share some thoughts about rib plating as well. So thanks for having me. It's nice to meet you. Welcome, Dennis. So specifically, Sarah Ann attached a really interesting uh, paper that I hadn't uh, come across. It's called Prospective Randomized Trial of Metal versus Reabsorbable Plates in Surgical Stabilization of Rib Fractures. Tell us a little bit about this project. It seems very interesting. I'm sure it was a massive feat to get completed. Well, it, it was, and it was more massive as it occurred during the pandemic. So that made it a little bit more challenging for follow-up. Uh, Nevertheless, we do a lot of surgical stabilization here for rib fractures and um, noted that uh, we've had great outcomes, as you know. And um, when we learned about the resorbable plates, uh, which uh, are you know, have been around for a while for face and some other things, uh, and has been reported in the literature by Mayberry and Morasco with very small series, uh, that this could be an option. So we thought if uh, we could use absorbable plates uh, and they would uh, resorb in 18 to 24 months, uh, then this might be another option for our patients to not have hardware you know, permanently. Because as you know, ribs, uh, once they heal uh, and become stable, you don't really need the hardware for longer periods of time. So when we started looking at the literature, we found that really there's not a lot out there about uh, resorbable plates as far as big series, and there's certainly nothing in the literature comparing them to metal uh, and looking at durability. So we designed a prospective randomized trial to try and answer that question, and that's how we got started on this study. Can you tell us, um, you know, we know how we, we place the, uh, the, the metal plates on the ribs. How did you... Um, secure the absorbable plates to these, to these ribs? Was it just with suture? Did you drill into well, the rib? How did you do that? The series that I talked about with, from uh, Mayberry and Morasco, uh, they used screws. And then uh, through that, they realized that the screws didn't hold very well. And there was, uh, I think, a 17 to 23%, somewhere along in their failure rate. And uh, I believe it was Mayberry that recommended using a, a circumferential cerclage with a suture to secure the plate. And that's what the company rep recommends now that uh, produces the resolvable plates. They recommend the uh, circumferential cerclage. So that's what we use. No screws. Uh, you take the plate, uh, warm it in a bath uh, of water, warm water, makes the plate malleable. Uh, then you have uh, about a minute or so to really sort of mold it to the rib, if you will, once you've reduced the rib. And then it becomes hard again. 
and then we sew the, uh, the plate uh, uh, along the rib in a circumferential staclage fashion. And then of course the plates that we use were you know standard uh, titanium plates with screws and fixation that you're uh, very familiar with. The consent process wasn't hard. It was actually much easier than I thought it would be. Uh, and what we did, we took on all comers. That's what made the study a little bit harder. You know, we didn't pick and choose. Uh, basically, our criteria for plaguing these patients were, uh, and you may agree or disagree with our criteria, but that's what we used, uh, was uh, three or more ribs that are displaced by cortical displacement, flail chest, then non-union and uh, failure uh, of medical management. And so really all of our patients didn't fall into those chronic conditions. All of our patients fell into the conditions of uh, uh, acute fractures. What we found was that uh, once we explained to patients that you need, we believe based on our, our CAT scans and on your physiology and your pain, we believe that you're a good candidate for surgical stabilization, you're not thriving and uh, we can help you with surgical stabilization. And then once the patients consented to that, then we went into the discussion, because we didn't want to confuse the two, then we went into the discussion about what type of stabilization did you need? And we explained to them that we have uh, different types of plates, uh, both are FDA approved, and we have a study that's going here, and you can participate in the study if you would like. Uh, you would be randomized to either resorbable plates or to steel plates. The patients really, uh, we didn't really have a problem with enrolling patients uh, into the study. Well, have you actually used the um, desirable plates in, in the in the in the past before this study? Did you were, were you always just a titanium plater, or did you actually use the other system um, for, no, for regular was, care? Uh, this was new to us. This was uh, we had not had experience before, and you could say you know that's a limitation or a criticism of the study that's valid because we're very experienced with the metal you know so is there any kind of bias uh, with us using the resorbable our study was done by three surgeons uh, we have a pretty tight group here so there's only three of the, the acute care surgeons that do all the rib plating with a lot of experience so uh, what we did to standardize the part about resorbable is we, we went to the cadaver lab all three surgeons with the with the uh, industry rep and made sure that we were following industry standard for placement of the plates and worked out our technique along with the industry standards uh, between the three of us in the cadaver lab to standardize our procedure. And then uh, when we first started, we also, it's not uncommon to find, find us in the operating room with each other, you know, just making sure that we were all doing it the same way. Uh, Dennis, another question from your presentation at AAST that you did, there was a higher failure rate in the absorbable group. What I want to know is why do you think that is? Do you think that's an inherent problem with the prosthetic? Does it fail before it gets the job done, or is it a is it a fixation problem? There was a higher failure rate of the absorbable plates, and so you ask such a complex question. I'm going to try to to say it without sort of getting off key and rambling here, but but my mind spins when you ask that question because uh, I thought this would be a very straightforward study, a very yes no. I mean, it would just be cut and dried, and it, it just opens up a whole new set of questions, and hopefully I can articulate what I mean by going through this process. So, out of the 15 patients in the resorbable group, nine of them had bicortical, some type of bicortical displacement, that's, a, that's 60%. If you look at the total ribs plated, uh, 167 ribs that were plated, 22 failed, 
all of those were in the resorbable group or all 22 were displaced. I won't say fail, but 22 were had displacement at the day of discharge. And that's about 28%. When we followed this up postoperatively and we looked at pain scores that was in the hospital, pre-surgery pain scores, day prior to surgery, day one, two, and three after surgery, postoperatively day of discharge, and then at two weeks, three months, and six months, we followed pain scores, opioid use converted to milligram, morphine milligram equivalents, and what, as well as quality of life surveys. And between the groups, even with the displacement, we did not demonstrate any change in those variables that we studied. So one of the questions I got at the mic was then, with displacement, it, it, and this is a point that I really want to hammer home and get across and, and, and make clarification, well, then it didn't do any good to, to do rib fixation. doesn't seem like it matters. Nothing could be further from the truth. Once you drill down and look at that, those, those plates, even though there's some displacement, they provide stability. Now, uh, to the point that it doesn't seem to matter uh, as far as quality of life and pain scores, it seems to be more uh, equivalent to, to the more sturdy or more rigid, if you will, metal plates. So that really opens up the, the question, how, how rigid does the chest wall need to be? How stable does it need to be to change physiology, to change pain scores, and so on? It was the consensus of the surgeons that we all did this, that, that the chest wall is not as rigid with the absorbable plates. When you, put rigid, when you put metal plates in, which doesn't matter which kind you use, when you put metal plates in, that chest wall as a surgeon, for those of you that have done this, you know that chest wall is stable. When you push on it, it, it doesn't give. It's very stable. It's very rigid. It's not the same feel with, with resorbable plates. There's more give to that chest wall. So I think that opens up a whole new you know, research question. How stable, how rigid does the wall need to be? And I can't answer that question. I mean, that's why I'm a little bit you know, scratching my head over you know, how, how rigid does it need to be. So I think it opens up new research questions for us that we, we need to think about. So that was sort of a long-winded answer, Tom, to your question. But I, I, I'm so fascinated by it, I could just keep talking about it. But I'll just. But at some at some level, even though it's a softer construct and allows more instability, if the ribs displace under that construct in a few days, I doubt the plate broke. It's probably that things have shifted underneath that that surclage somehow. It's just not as stable a construct as screws and uh, through plates and into the bone. That's just my, you know, I'm just speculating here, but I spent a lot of time over the last decade thinking about this, these concepts. But I, I'm fascinated by the idea that those patients did just as well. And maybe it's because some, some stabilization, even if it's a little bit askew, is better than, than none. And, and what will be fascinating is hopefully you can follow these patients long-term and get radiographs in a year or two and find out what their bone looks like after. Did they all achieve bony union in, under this construct? There's just so many things to explore with this. And I congratulate you and your partners for, for tackling this. And Benji's one of our favorite persons on the planet. So we, we couldn't leave this podcast without a shout out to your younger partner, Benji Christie. Absolutely. He's our, he's our main champion. He's a, he's a great guy, a lot of experience, very good. I will tell you through, through our revision process, the we, we looked at chest x, you know, patients get a lot of chest x-rays in the hospital. And again, just the way we decided to do it, we wanted to know what they looked like when they went home, that being their baseline. 
once they left the hospital. We use day of discharge x-ray as our sort of our baseline, you know, were they displaced or were they not and compared. Uh, the reviewers really wondered, and they sort of went with your question, you know, when did they shift or what happens? And so they wanted us to look at the the post-operative, immediate post-operative chest x-ray. Some days that was the post-op day zero, some days it was post-op day one. And and see, did was it a, a did these did we have them all lined up or could we get reduction? Could we not get reduction? Did they slip? And there were going back and looking at that data, we're analyzing it now, but I've just got the, the first analysis here. Uh, of the 22 ribs that were displaced at day of discharge, 15 were displaced post-op day one. So what that tells me is that this was a reduction problem. We, we lined them up in surgery, we you know, did the usual things you do, but that plate and that suture technique is simply not enough. It's, it just doesn't hold them as well as the, uh, the titanium or the metal plates. And uh, it, it allows some slippage. Uh, and, and once you do this and you see it, you can understand that because it, it's just not as uh, a sturdy of a repair, if you will. So I think we have to take that into consideration if you're going to use resorbable plates. Maybe clinically it doesn't make a difference, but you know, if you once you leave the OR, you do like to have the feeling that you you, you really stabilize those ribs where there's no slippage at all. Are you less worried about circumferential wrapping the ribs with suture or something tight now than you were before the study started? That was a real stressor for me. I, I really worried about uh, uh, suturing the rib and including the intercostal and uh, the nerve. And I, I was really worried that was going to happen. Uh, we spent a lot of time talking to uh, Dr. Dan Miller uh, from Atlanta, uh, who's yeah, done we know a lot chest wall reconstruction, usually for tumors or really where you resected the chest wall. And he's done some of this and, and, and he and says, don't worry about it. Any problem. <laughs> so, uh, so we did it. We went ahead and we did it and it, it didn't seem to, to, to matter. Uh, I will tell you from, from this, and I think this for the audience, this is the rib platers, this is something you need to take home. And, you know, we've gotten uh, to the point now with smaller incisions, uh, keyhole incisions, uh, along with some of your great videos. And this is hard to do through that. You know, you're trying to sew a rib. Uh, you don't have an angled sewing device. You don't have an angle. You know, you're, you're really trying to sew. So we found that it was, again, the consensus. We didn't actually sub uh, objectively measure this. Uh, we just we didn't think about that data point uh, before the study. But, but, but talking about it. It, it's harder to do. The, the, the degree of difficulties through a small incision is, is much more difficult. And we took all comers. We didn't, we didn't pick patients and say, well, you know, I think we'll just use metal on this one or this one would be better classified. We followed the randomization process and found ourselves in some really tough cases uh, with resorbable plates. And uh, we got it done. But I would say, you know, it, there, there's some areas to go that's more difficult. Finally, if I could add one more point, Tom, uh, the, that we weren't expecting two patients that had resorbable plates. One was a motorcycle rider. Actually, a week after discharge, literally, I think it was seven to 10 days after discharge, he was in for a motorcycle accident, had uh, three plates plated with resorbable plates, had another motorcycle accident. Uh, so obviously his pain wasn't too bad. And another motorcycle and broke the plates uh, that we had placed, then had to go back to surgery and uh, had broken his plates. 
we had another person I think that was that had fallen and broke their plates as well. So unexpectedly, two patients came back and had to have a, a second surgery after their trauma recidivism. Uh, so that adds some question about the durability. We went back and looked at our, our registry, a rib registry, and found four patients, uh, not in this study, but four patients just in the registry that had titanium. And uh, they had trauma recidivism. And none of those patients fractured their plates or had to go back to surgery uh, for that. So that, that brings up another question about durability with repeat trauma or trauma recidivism. Uh, just sort of as an interesting finding. So that's that's something we would need to, to look at in the future. Good stuff. Sarah Ann, I imagine you have some updates for the week. I do have some updates for the week. October case review is actually one week from yesterday, October 27th at 4 p.m. Mountain Time. All of those case times are full. I've had a couple people email me asking if um, they can squeeze their patient in, but unfortunately all of the October times are full. We still have one more time available in November and two more times available in December. So if you're looking to um, fit your, your case review in before the end of the year, you still have a couple more opportunities. Um, and of course, registration is still open for those. The main thing is really just the November forum and how amazing it's gonna be. Um, we are pre-recording a couple of the sessions right now, which I'm super excited about. So um, I'm already privy to some of the content and just have to say how excited I am and hope that everybody is, is likewise getting excited and getting registered. Um, so be sure to put that on your calendar. If you have any questions or otherwise don't, uh, don't know what it is, then Wednesday, November 10th is, is definitely a jam. Two additional things that are going on um, in the month of November, we have our physio slash physical therapy webinar on Wednesday, November 3rd. So that one's also going to be a highlight. Um, make sure you have that on your calendar. And for anyone who hasn't heard the update yet, April 28th through the 30th, 2022, Park City Mountain Resort in the Grand Summit Hotel is um, the actual uh, SEWA Summit 2022. So lots of exciting things happening and uh, you'll definitely want to want to get them all on your calendar as soon as you can as far as other things that are going on outside of just our our ongoing events um, the portal to volunteer for um, to be on a CWIS committee or the portal for that will be opening as of December 1st share share your time share your talent and we would just ask as many people as are interested to please volunteer um, so let us know if you have any questions. The, the actual, uh, there is an online portal where you submit your interest in, and indicate which committees you would be interested in. Um, so that will be opening up soon. You'll see that in the newsletter. Um, but if you want to start thinking about, hey, do I have a few hours I could give to CUS, and you do, then um, go ahead and uh, plan on filling that out. So we're super excited about that, the nominating committee would love to see a, a big turnout. We have um, quite a few people who are actually rolling off committees this year um, just because their, their terms have expired. And um, so we're, we're looking forward to a big turnout. Quick final stitch. Uh, Sarah, yes. reach down under your desk and turn off that heater. Let's see if that makes a sound different. She's got a heater under her desk? Look, it's very cold. Oh. It's, it's cold. Nailed it. You nailed it, doctor. <laughs>
Can you hear me better now? I'm going to 100% better. <laughs> the whole time. Yeah. Like a, a jet engine. Oh. You got a jet engine I'm on the floor. Under my desk because I'm cold all the time. Please, for Fracture Line, future Fracture Lines, please just turn it off for a half an hour. Yeah. We will remind you, won't we, Mark? Yeah, we will. Or maybe, oh maybe, my fat, goodness. maybe fatten up for the winter. Put on like 60 pounds. Doctor's orders. Have you seen Fat Bear Week? Yeah. Fat, fat Bear, Bear Week, Week from uh, Alaska? From, from Katmai National Park. It is one of my most favorite things that goes on in the year, you guys. Fat Bear Week. I was cheering for Otis all the way. I love it. I watch Fat Bear Week religiously. It goes on for two weeks out of the year. And they show these videos of the bears that, that are getting ready from July till September. And then at the end of September, you can vote for your favorite fat bear. And I was cheering for Otis <laughs> all the way. And he won. It was his fourth year, you guys. He's the fattest bear. Otis, Otis. my man. Otis. Otis, big O. Big O. And he won again, speaking of. Speaking of, all right, of well, uh, we... fattening up for the winter. So there you go. There you well, go. I'd like to thank Dennis for coming and helping us out, classing up the joint Absolutely. a bit today. Yeah, he certainly did that. His genteel nature and his tie and his stories and I love it. And it was fantastic. I absolutely yeah. Love it. We'll have you back. Yes, Dr. Ashley, you have a final stitch for us. I would just like to give a shout out to all the healthcare providers across the world. Uh, and what I mean by that, I don't mean to be corny, but. Uh, I've never seen in my career any one thing tie all of us together like COVID has. And as I talk to my colleagues around the country, around the world, uh, we're all together in this. And um, I'm just super proud. You know, this has been the worst of times. You've heard of people say this has also been the best of times uh, with my colleagues here, uh, Benji and all the others, like you mentioned, Tom. We've been pulled into the COVID ICU and had to run that ICU for overflow. And uh, Benji was down there one day, things were so busy and patients lined up to get in there uh, that he was uh, clean, mopping the floors with one of the residents and cleaning the ventilator because we just, we, we didn't have, we're just overwhelmed um, and uh, we had to do what we had to do. And so when you see your colleagues doing that, you just, you know, you're all in it together. And uh, I'm just uh, proud to be a part of the team and the Bible tells us to never grow tired of doing good. I'd like to say that all our healthcare providers haven't grown tired and I'm just uh, proud to be one of the guys on the team. So a shout out to everybody on, on healthcare, our respiratory therapists, our nurses, everybody. Thank you. Well said. So I think we should conclude today by thank, uh, congratulating our executive director on her birthday today. Sarah Ann, thank happy birthday. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Thank you. Good to have a birthday.